Hi, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Don. Hi, I'm David. Hey, I'm Corey. And we are four disciples pastors talking about race. We're friends, colleagues, and faith leaders leaning into our relationships with each other so that we can learn, grow, and advance the important work of racial justice. And we're glad that you're part of the conversation too. Well, hello, gentlemen. It's good to see you and be with you and speak with you again today. Good morning. Good, good morning, to see everybody. Well, I'm excited. Don Gillette, Pastor Don Gillette, is going to share a story with us uh, today, a story responding to the question that uh, David responded to last episode and Corey before that, and that I'll respond uh, in our next episode. Don, really looking forward to your story responding to the question, when did you first become aware of race? Take it away. Well, good morning. Um, looking at the question, when did I become aware of race? I, 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 um, I grew up in Chicago, and Chicago is probably one of the most uh, racially segregated cities in America. Uh, there's Black neighborhoods, Polish neighborhoods, uh, Jewish neighborhoods, Spanish neighborhoods. Uh, so they're all kind of neighborhoods um, when I grew up. Um, and so I, I grew up in a, uh, on the south side of Chicago, uh, which was in a primarily uh, black neighborhood. Um, um, so that meant my school that I went to was pretty much 99.8% uh, black, uh, my, my, my elementary school, because we went K through eight. Uh, uh, my high school was also uh, primarily black. Um, I, I graduated uh, from, uh, uh, and I'm getting to there, I, I graduated from elementary school, eighth grade, at the age of 12. Um, and so when I graduated at 12, my mom remarried. And uh, we moved from the city to the suburbs of Chicago uh, to a uh, town called Westchester, Illinois, uh, which was just uh, about 20 minutes outside of Chicago. It's, uh, and at the time when we moved into the house that we were living in, um, we were the only uh, African-American or Black family in the neighborhood. I went to uh, Proviso West High School, which was probably 80% white. Uh, Proviso East was about 80% black, mm. but I went to Proviso West. Um, and um, we lived there. And uh, I think uh, that was one of the first occurrences that I, I understood um, uh, or, or was impacted biracial undertones. Um, uh, walking to the bus stop, um, I was called the N-word and all other kind of names. Um, I wasn't allowed to go to the park up the street because I was the only black uh, kid there. Um, while I was at uh, Proviso West, I, I probably got into three fights uh, when folks called me the N-word or called me a boy. Um, uh, two of them went pretty good my way. The other one, I kind of got smashed um, into some lockers. Uh, <laughs> he was a bigger guy than me. Um, and that Christmas, uh, we had gone into Chicago uh, to celebrate with uh, my family and uh, Oh, oh, prior to that, our, our house was egged and the word, the N-word was sprayed across our garage. Um, and uh, that Christmas Eve, uh, while we were away, they set our house on fire. Um, and so our house burned down. Uh, uh, from that, we had to move uh, and we moved to Lombard. Illinois, where I then began attending uh, Glenbard West, um, um, which once again was primarily a, a white high school. 
Um, and it was there that I, I also encountered some things. I had a good friend, uh, or I had a friend uh, that we played. We'd wake up in the morning, go play tennis, go to swimming, do all sorts of things together. His name was Eddie. And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, one day he got mad at me, and he called me the N-word. Uh, and uh, um, um, of course, I responded by punching him. Um, and uh, and then I, I asked him, I asked him the question. I said, "With all your other friends that you have, and I'm considered your friend, with all the other people that you have that call you friend, um, where, why, why did you use the word?" the n-word on me i said you call everybody else a-holes and buttholes and things like that but why was that the first word you used on me i said now if you call me an a-hole or, or 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 any other kind of word then then we would we would probably still be friends um and we wouldn't have led into this but the first word that came out your mouth was the n-word which really taught me um pretty much what you thought of me. I, I thought you were my friend, um, but obviously you're, you're really not because you use such a, um, a, a, a mean word against me. Um, um, and so, I, you know, as I think about it, uh, those, those that, that year, which was my freshman year in high school, um, I, I ran smack dab into it, you know, once again, at 12, 13 years old, um, you seeing uh, the effects of, of race and, 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 and uh, you know, once again, um, uh, you know, I, you use the N word on me or you use the boy word on me uh, were words that would, would make me respond uh, 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 quite irrationally with you. Uh, it, it, it's funny, I, I think about uh, probably about 10 years ago, <laughs> I was driving and somebody cut me off uh, over off of Saring Drive, uh, Saring Drive in Clearwater. Uh, two, 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 white, two white boys um, and they used the N word. And uh, Sharice was in the car with me, and they used the N word and it sped off. Well, it made me react. <laughs> I put my my foot down on the gas pedal and was driving after them. Just I was in the minivan; they were in a sports car, so I was unable to catch up, which which probably was good for them and for me. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I don't mind. If you get mad at me and you call me some other name, once again, then we can we can discuss that. But those are words that uh, uh, when you use the N word or you use boy word or you use any of those kind of words, they 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 tend to make me lose friendship um, because it shows me who you really are. When pre when push comes to shove, if that's the first word out your mouth. Um, then that's what happens. But I think that freshman year really taught me um, a lot about some things. And, uh, I, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I'll stop there. Um, um, I've, I've got many more. Uh, being an African-American uh, 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 in the military, uh, uh, I, I, I remember one time uh, most of the officers I was with were white. Um, um, there were a group of, uh, of about five of us who were African-American who were officers. And uh, I remember the sergeant coming over. Our captain during our, during our training was white and our sergeant was a black guy. <clears throat> and um, he, he would come over when we were, because we had likeness and we would gather sometimes and he would come over and say, y'all got to break it up y'all can't all just hang out together because they're thinking you're up to something. Yeah. Um, mm. And so, so we, we would have to disperse uh, uh, at the sergeant's request because you can see the other ones looking at us, trying to figure out, I guess, what we were doing or what we were saying. We're, we're just talking basic stuff. Um, 
so so yeah I, I i've seen it i've experienced it and uh like i said my freshman year was my earliest recollection so i was 12 13 uh on or about that age don thank you that's um sadly unsurprising given the history um that we know in our country and that i've you know the stories that i've heard from others it's just especially heartbreaking and sad when i think about you and i think about how amazing you are and i think about um our friendship and your ministry um and just to know that you know you have that direct firsthand experience um so thank you for for sharing that and um i think my heart just just breaks and i feel the brokenness that that a teenager would go through that but i think it sounds like while that may be the story that kind of jumped to your mind growing up especially in chicago in a very segregated very segregated city that race was at play um very early on um in your own life yeah i, I would say race was at play but but once again i think you really didn't notice it if you grew up as as a child you 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 understand the area in which you're a part of so 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 i mean it wasn't like um as i was growing up or oh, where 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 are the um white kids at or where are the hispanic kids at it wasn't even no thought it just was this was my reality and 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 that's why i can understand a a um uh, a kid who grows up in an all-white community, they don't understand because that's that's the area in which they live, and that's that's their reality. The question becomes: even though that's your reality, how do you respond when you understand that you're that there's a larger worldview than your worldview, uh, and that there are folk who are who are different in terms of complexion and maybe some who are different in terms of 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 sensibilities however there are a lot more uh, uh things that you have in common with some there's just some it's, it's got nothing to do with black or white it just you and i just don't mix <laughs> we don't have the same sensibilities um but not to hold that against a whole race or a whole community of people um if, if that makes any sense yes so one of my questions and maybe um david corey you want to jump in here but but one of my questions that to get back around to is um you know growing up and having those experiences with friends who betray you with other folks who just mean destructive hateful and hurtful did you wrestle with um um hatred towards white people or um you know just that experience um um no hmm. uh i i would say i did wrestle with hatred towards um um, um, um white white people um uh for me it was it was more so um individual by individual hmm. um it hmm. was uh as a as a kid and and i've got to get back to my my thought process as a kid as an adult i understand white privilege and how folk live and react and operate out of white privilege um but as a kid it, it wasn't that because you know you still played i mean you play baseball i play baseball you know so we we still have some things in common um, but, I, you know, I remember one thing that my, my mother told me, because I, I remember that after that incident going back home, my, my mother told me, um, uh, essentially, uh, that somebody, that you can have friends, but just know how far the friendship goes. Hmm. So in other words, um, and, and, and the way I equate it, uh, growing up as a young adult was, you and I might be friends, but you're not the type of friend that I would go out to a club with because I know if I got in trouble, you wouldn't have my back. Mm. But you and I could sit on the phone and talk, we'd go to the baseball field and talk, but our friendship has limits and bounds. Mm. And so, so with limits and bounds, it means it's about uh, relationship and trust level with the individual. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, 
Um, and so that's how I kind of grew up, not, not hating uh, a whole nother race or hating, you know, uh, white persons in general. Um, but it was about, let's build, let's see where the trust level goes mm. with each individual. But that's with anybody, uh, uh, persons who are black or Hispanic or Asian, it's, it's about relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and I value relationship. John, I'm curious, when you moved out from the neighborhood on the south side as an elementary school student to that suburb with your stepfather and your mother, where you were the only family in that whole neighborhood and the school was so different, when you started to have those experiences of that awful bigotry, name-calling, denigration, did you go home and talk to your parents uh, to your stepfather and your mother and and did they did you and if you did what kind of um conversation did they have with you um i'm trying to recall if i did you know there must have been conversations that i had been around and i'm trying to recall recollect back to that age that that made me understand that there was racism, but, but, but not in the terms that I can really can uh, have a complete thought around. Um, because I don't recall talking to them, except for telling them, well, you know, um, you know, Eddie and I are no longer friends. And they were like, why? And I said, because he called me the N-word. Um, and, uh, um, and, and then I think, I, I really think that's when my mother told me about you can still have a friend, but just know how far they go to, you know, um, I, you know, because I, I think I was bothered by it because, because there were a group of us. Uh, uh, once again, it was a suburb uh, and it may have been in my age range, maybe two other black kids, but like several white kids, but we were the group that hung around each other. Uh, and I had always heard him when he got mad at his white friend, he would call them all sorts of names, um, which I'm not saying is the best way to react. But when it came to he and I getting into it, he called me the N-word, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of like, so that's what you think about me. So I'm your, I'm your N-friend. That, just that dynamic, Don, and you talked about it so well, about that's the word that came out of his mouth. And, you know, we're in this day and age now where with social media and whatnot, those blurbs get recorded and people are paying the price for it. And I have, as, as I listen to what folks say who are, called into accountability for the use of language or, or whatever. One of the things that often comes out is, I want everybody to know that's not really me. And that strikes me as, ah, I, I don't know, because if, if way down deep inside, in a certain moment, that's what comes out, unbidden, unthought about, if anything, it tells me there's something deep, deep down inside you that that's the first thing that comes out. And it's, and I've been grappling with, with that in your story of how you could have called me all these other things to express yeah. your pleasure, but that's the word. Where did that come from? Yeah. I, I guess I'm just make I'm, I'm wondering aloud, Don, um, with, oh, that's what comes out. Yikes. That's yeah, that, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing to me. If, if that's the word, that comes out and you say that's not true. It's almost like, it's almost like somebody being uh, inebriated and, and then saying, well, I didn't mean what I said. No, you, you, your inhibitions were loosed. So you were able to say what you really felt and what you really thought. No, that's a great, that's a great analogy, Don. Oh my gosh. Don, I'm curious, um, before you moved, you know, obviously, once you moved, you experienced racism firsthand. But before you moved, did you have any kind of awareness that that racism, racism existed? Had you heard the N-word used before? Were you sort of 
prepped in any way? Because, you know, nowadays we hear about um, African-American parents having to talk with their, you know, their sons and their daughters. Every day. Did, did you, so you experienced that even in this neighborhood that was, it sounds like it was almost exclusively black. You were still acutely aware of the racism that existed sort of outside of that? Um, I, you know, trying to, you know, like I said, when we, when we try to recollect back, you know, so many years, our, our memories uh, get embellished or we don't remember everything. <laughs> um, I, I, I think there was some sense of awareness that there were certain neighborhoods you didn't go into. I, I don't know if I recall understanding that as racism. Okay. Um, but I knew in Chicago there was there were there were neighborhoods you just didn't go into. You're fine yeah. over here, but there were neighborhoods you didn't go into. And that was that was both. Black areas and white areas, just neighborhoods you just didn't go into. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so, you know, I, I, I think whatever you got from TV, whatever you got from your, you know, uh, hear, uh, secondhand conversation from being around adults and listening, uh, you may have got some of that, but I, I, don't, I don't recall... I don't recall really thinking in that way during that time. Okay. Um, I know I appreciated uh, uh, African or uh, black teachers, although the majority of the teachers were white, um, it, it, even in the all black schools. Um, but like I said, I, I, I don't, I, I cannot really recall whether or not the issue of race or racism, my reality was just as these were my blocks. Yeah. Um, um, and it, 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 it really didn't get to be a talk once again, because as I said, I graduated at 12, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and so high school, I was 12, 13. So I wasn't driving, I wasn't going nowhere. So, 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 so when I moved to the suburbs, that's when it was aware, more aware of go home, come directly back, go get to the bus, come directly back home. Don't stray. Yeah. And, um, and your house was burned down? House was burned down. Like wow. they, one thing to have a, a I mean, well, I mean to think about it, was, it someone it was, saying the N word. It but was like, uninhabitable. You know, it was a brick home, so it's kind of hard to burn down a brick home, but the insides were completely gone. But that, that, wow. that seems like a, a more um, systematic, more premeditated, more... Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, they had, one time they had set a, a, a they, they, they actually put a burning, set a car on fire in front of the house, too. So there were all wow. kinds of signals you don't belong here. Right. You know, right. I, I, think, I think I can remember, although I didn't experience it, but I can remember my family members coming out and the Westchester police pulling them over, asking them what were they doing in the neighborhood. I remember hearing tales about that. Um, um, so, so, so yeah, that when we talk about first instances, but... Now I've got I've got a lifetime of instances of, yeah. of, of 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 seeing how race plays out, but the, that first that very first instance, you know, I, I've been pulled over unnecessarily by the police. I I've had to have my talk with my older son and trying to have my talk with my younger son, having to talk with my with my daughters, um, um, trying and, to explain some things. And what does it mean? So there, um. I'm newly aware of this idea of the talk. And so I wonder if there are other folks who may not be aware of what that, that even means. Corey mentioned it and you said you've had these conversations, like maybe say a word more about that if, you, if you're okay with well, it. Well, well the, talk is, the talk really is trying to remind, especially my boys, um, that they're black and in America. Um, and that 
when they get pulled over by the police, what to do, how to operate, how to behave, how to talk. You know, once again, you know, what we tell them is their job, if they go out, is to make it back home safely. Um, um, but it's about how you, how you react and respond with, with, with the police um, when, you're, when you get pulled over. Um, it's about how you respond, you know. Uh, um, it was interesting, we went on a retreat a couple of weeks ago um, and had a, a black Louisville uh, police officer come and talk to my teenagers. Um, and, you know, we live in a, a, a neighborhood that our particular area, we're, we're probably the only black family in the area. And so, you know, when, I, when, when my son goes for a walk, you know, I have to tell them, you know, keep, keep one earbud out your ear. Don't put the hood on your, on your head, you know, because, because once again, you get those, I mean, because he's a bigger kid, so, so you get, you know, uh, as a black man that you're menacing, that you're, you're a troublemaker, that you don't belong in the neighborhood, and, you know, you're going to get pulled over, and how to respond if a police officer pulls you over no matter where you walk how to respond back to that police officer, even though you're not driving, um, and, 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 and that you, you respond back appropriately uh, to that police officer. And, you know, um, once again, today being several days after the shooting of the black man in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, I was watching some of the footage and, you know, regardless, does a man deserve to be shot seven times in the back? Uh, and then uh, saw the video of, 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 of the protests, the riots the day after, or on Tuesday, when there was a white gentleman who shot and killed a black man and shot and hurt two other uh, black, black citizens. And he's, he's strapped with an AR-15, yeah. uh, and he's walking towards the police. Now, his hands are up, but he's walking towards the police with this semi-automatic weapon on, and essentially, the, some of the cars just drive by him. Uh, uh, he, they, he, he goes turn himself in to say what happened, but they let him go. Then they wind up going to his hometown, which I think was about 30 minutes away in Illinois, and arresting him. Now, had that been a, a, a black man, even with his hands up with the weapon on him, they would have told him to get down on the ground, if they didn't shoot him, even though his hands are up with the gun, their, their radar would have been up and they would have put him in the car and arrested him or definitely detained him, even though he had the same lawful right to carry an AR-15 as the white citizen. So, so those kind of things we continue to see. We continue uh, uh, to see occur. I, I'm so glad that you know, some of the athletic teams, brothers who are both black and white, who are brothers in arms, say, we're not going to play. We're going to boycott the games tonight, baseball and football and basketball. Um, so we continue to see these incidences uh, occurring that, that, that uh, there's a sense of dehumanization towards uh, African-American, especially African-American males. Now, it's, African-Americans, but it's our young males that, 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 that get the brunt of it. Um, and so, um, as I said, for me, uh, growing up, I grew up, you know, I wound up moving back to Chicago. Uh, my mom and stepdad stayed together. I, I went back to Chicago and, and once again, went back to a, a black community. Um, that was, the high school was probably 97% black. Uh, I can recall during Harold Washington's election, I would oh, yeah. try to pass out some flyers and you go into some of the, because my school was on 103rd off of Vincennes. If you went further west on 103rd, it was a white area. And you go pass out flyers, they would call you all sorts of names because you're passing out flyers for Harold Washington, who was, the, for those who may not know, was the first African-American mayor uh, uh, in Chicago, had been a congressman. Um, um, and then became the mayor of Chicago. So, so we, we continue to see those incidences. But from my earliest recollection, my freshman year in high school was when 
it really began to be uh, crystallized for me. I am, <clears throat> there was a lot, uh, a lot going on there, especially, I mean, thinking about having those, these conversations with, with your children about um, how to react under circumstances where you may be pulled over for a speeding ticket or stopped for what seems like no reason. Um, how do you interact with the police? And I think, you know, growing up, as I grew up, there's this just this default sense of trust and expectation that things are going to work out so much so that I don't recall any conversation with with my parents or with others about how to react under situations of being stopped or pulled over. Um, and it was kind of a sh one, one of my kind of eye opening moments was uh, getting trained as a foster parent and being told that one of the things that foster children experience is a deep distrust and concern and fear for police officers, in part because police officers often accompany social workers when children are being removed from their homes. And so there's that association of family disruption, wow. there's that association of um, mm. a deep instability and trauma that come with. Um, foster children, and I remember our kids when they came to live with us, um, being deeply afraid of sirens and lights. And I remember when um, I locked my keys in my car and a police officer came and helped. Um, there was this moment with my children of like trying to rebuild trust because there was this immediate sense of fear. And thankfully that police officer was wonderful and was able to help them. But I, mm -hmm. I just, I realized in those interactions, how many things I take for granted based on experiences that I've had and experiences that my parents have had and, you know, what it means to grow up that way, expecting certain things out of an interaction and then to have a very different experience and begin to be aware of other people's experiences and what they have to go through um, with a different level of, of trust that is there. And, and I just see how much of that is breaking down and broken down. And um, that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. You know, what's funny, uh, Michael, is I remember growing up in Chicago, we had Officer Friendly who would come to the school. That was that was just the name of the officer. He, that wasn't his real name, oh, but he was called Officer Friendly. And he would come to grade school so that you could make relationship with the police officers. And, and I, I think I no longer see that on the police card, but it used to be to serve and protect. Serve and protect. That was their duty, to serve and protect. And in Chicago, it was written on the squad car to serve and protect. And like I said, I don't know if it's still there or not, but here in Lexington, it doesn't say it on the cars, I don't think. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of it seems as if law enforcement uh, is just that enforcement. It's not to serve and protect. Mm. It's and interesting so, because, go ahead, Don. Go ahead, go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say, it's interesting because what I remember being taught about police officers was you treat them with respect because that's, that's the, that's, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to trust someone in authority and you, yes, ma'am. And no, sir. And, but you, you, you know, you're not doing that because you're, it's a life and death situation. You're doing that because that's a respectful thing to do and how different it must be to, to, to teach the same thing, treat them with respect, but out of a place of distrust uh, instead of a place of trust. Um, and that, and, you know, with your military uh, experience as well, I mean, we're, we're inherently taught to trust authority, that the authority is inherently trustworthy because the people who are in those positions have those positions because one of the reasons is that they are trustworthy. And obviously that breaks down in, at every level. Um, but it, I can't imagine what it's like to, to come at a relationship with someone in authority from a place of distrust. Um, and, and how that just influences any interaction you would have, not just with police officers, but military yeah. officers, teachers, bosses, um, people at the bank you're trying to get a loan from, any of the places where, as white people, the, the, you know, Michael, you said the default is trust. I mean, that's just, we just trust someone who is in this position. And we, because we assume that that will be returned to us in some way. So I can't even relate to what it must be like to, to have to come at all of those relationships from a place of, of distrust to begin with and how that then begins to break down when that distrust is warranted, as we've seen with the things that have gone on in our country, how there's even a, a, a deeper erosion of those relationships and that, that sense of trust. Yes. Don, you know, you've already said, and I experienced the same thing when I was telling my story, it's hard for us to go back that far and try to 
remember how we <laughs> were feeling. You know, we're going for, back. For, for some of us, David. Yeah, I, yeah, some of us go back further than others. Let's just <laughs> be clear. You, brother, I got it all. But here's my question, Don. When, when you <laughs> go ahead, everybody, pile up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So, Don, when you go back and, and you were having those, those experiences as a 12 year old, those, those blows. Uh, verbally and physically and whatnot. Do you remember what your 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 feelings were? I mean, I can think it could be anger, fear, bewilderment. What's this? Crushing heartache. You know. Oh, do you have a, a recollection? I, I don't know. I don't know if it was fear. Uh, I think anger. Yeah. Anger, anger, um, because. You calling me the N-word is you trying to assert superiority or thought superiority over me. Um, um, I think it was anger. Uh, uh, and, and even to this day, even to this day, I cringe now. I, I've got a little more self-control. I cringe when someone calls me boy. Mm. Oh. Oh, um, um, and, and how often does that happen, Don? Yeah, not as frequently as it used to, but it still does from the older generation. Oh, wow. Um, um, and when that occurs, I go to relationship mm -hmm. and I go to, I go to whether the thought of whether it's being used as a as a weapon or whether it's just how that person talks um because if 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 one of one of uh david's senior saint, saints comes up and says well you know you know blah 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 and calls me boy and then looks over at uh, michael and calls him boy then it's like you know they're they they just don't understand. I don't like that word boy, but it's, it's in the lexicon. But if somebody says boy intentionally, uh, like when I was in Texas in college and I went into a store and the, the store clerk called me boy, what do you want boy? Mm. At that point, I said, I don't want anything. And I put stuff down and I left out the store. Mm. There you go. Um, wow. But some folks still have it in their lexicon. Um, and I, I, I determine the N word in anybody's lexicon has no, has no degree of variation with relationship. No, right. wiggle room um, on that but, one. but the word boy, I, I kind of have to determine the relationship and hmm. determine the person's heart and what they may, may or may not mean. So I, I, I sift through it. Uh, but it still makes me cringe. Uh, uh, are there other cringeworthy words? There may be people who are, um, and maybe there are words that I use, but are, there may be words that people aren't aware of um, um, that it's probably helpful to be aware of. But you mentioned boy. Um, I think you mentioned son. Son sometimes can get you, uh, but that to me is not as much of a racial as it is of a of a put down for age paternalistic mm. on yeah, yeah 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 so 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 that one gets me but it it it, it hits a different sense of my mm. of, of, of my of my reality but the word boy um mm. like i said it 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 causes it causes it causes a shiver down my body but i don't respond to that the same way Hmm. Uh, you say the N word. Uh, you you might get a response from me. <laughs> mm -hmm. sure. You 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 won't get punched by me, but you might get a response from me. It, it's just it occurs to me how much some um, 
ways of thinking and ways of speaking circulate that it gets picked up and unthoughtfully kind of regurgitated. Um, and I think some words less so than others, you know, the N word feels like you got to really be, <laughs> that's not where you just pick up and throw around anymore. Right. Um, if it ever was. Um, but there may be words like boy or like son, which do carry these kind of, um, heavier connotations that people may not always be aware of, or at least in certain moments may say unthinkingly. And first, and I also just want to say how much respect and admiration I have for you to be able to parse out that when those words hit you, because I don't know that I would have that same self-control. So again, just a lot of respect and admiration for I, you. I, I think the other word that happens, and it happens with the older, uh, older white uh, crowd, is well i have colored friends oh. colored. colored colored yep and it just says oh well you 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 don't you don't missed out on 40 years <laughs> 40 years <laughs> yes, yeah no yeah um but 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 so so it's a cringe but it's not like cringe cringe it's yeah okay so you you really you're really locked somewhere and once again, I have to search the person's heart, you know. Um, um, and, and, and I'm sure you've heard the word colored amongst some of the older generation. Um, 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 and and, and sometimes it's, it's and, and, and I think I would, I respect the fact when someone says, well, what do you prefer? Hmm. Uh, racially to be identified as black, African-American, you know, Negro. I, I can respect that fact, you know, mm. because, but what, the thing of it is, you, you should understand that Negro and colored are no longer in the le lexicon. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, black and African-American can be, you know, and, and you've even heard me in this conversation interchange them, but for the most part, I say black. Mm. It's interesting because a term that I hear used, which I think is acceptable, is people of color uh, today, which, 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 which has a broader bandwidth than just black. It could be, you know, Hispanic, Asian. But interesting how just a word, color, can carry such different meaning based on uh, who's using it, how it's being used, uh, to whom it's being used. Um, so correct. calling someone colored and calling someone a person of color even though you're using the same word can carry a lot of a whole different meaning depending on the cultural context that goes along with it. Yeah, that is accurate. Thanks to the wonder of zoom here. I had this moment a while back with Corey and Don next to one another on my screen. I'm <laughs> talking about in answer to Michael's question, the talk and that being born out of this historic, uh, relationship between police and African-Americans that has warranted African-Americans, especially African-American males, um, sense of, of threat and fear and watch out. And Corey's talking about his experience being raised like me, where the police were to serve and protect. They're there to help you. Everything's gonna be all right. If you have trouble, call the police. And it dawned on me that the white experience of the police connotes within us, if you will. Everything's all right. Help is here. Relax. It's good. The deep down, ground in historically experience for, for black men is, oh my gosh, heartbeat raising a threat. And here's my point. When, when, we're, when we're threatened, what's our two responses usually deep down within? Fight or flight. Either one of those by a black man in the presence of police could well be a death sentence. Fight yeah. or flight. And so you're fighting against your most innate visceral reactions it, it just made me sense in a really deep way and and i gotta say you know and and police approaching black men with all the stuff they're carrying with them this is a volatile volatile 
thing. And we got to find a way to acknowledge that and see if we can ameliorate these deep down. I don't know. I just had this tremendous sort of insight. Well, well, well what I would tell you is I, I've been in the car um, driving and, and somebody else may have had the experience, but it, it just seems to happen to a black African-American man more where the police will get behind you and follow you for three or four blocks. And essentially what they're doing is running your license plate, running, you know, mm -hmm. checking on you, and then you'll see them curve off. But sometimes they get right behind you. And they're following you, and you know they're following you. you matter of fact, you see them come and turn around and, and follow you, and you're not breaking any laws. Um, that 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 can send heart, your hearts racing you know what what's what's going on now um the anger boils over when you know you weren't doing anything wrong and you get pulled over you yeah. know you weren't doing anything you know you were doing the speed limit you know your registration your insurance your license everything is up to date there there are no broken tail lights <laughs> you didn't run a stop sign you, you 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 know you you are being pulled over to be messed with, um, and and sometimes the police officer pull you over, and what you got to realize is that the police officer has a book of laws. So although you weren't speeding, you didn't run a stop sign. It could be anything. You oh. did not put your turn signal on oh. twenty five feet before you made. Yeah, Which is legal. Sure. It's legal. Sure. I mean, but that's what you pulled me over for. Or I didn't see the decal on your plate clearly. Yes. You know, that's why I pulled you over. Um, um, those kind of things. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that in the moment, if you act angrily, you could get in more trouble. Mm. Yeah. What what is your relationship like with police? I mean, do you are you in relationship with police officers with the policing community? I am in relationship with the police community, and police officers. I, I I'll tell you a, a incident which is really funny. I live down the street from a from a police officer, and uh, usually I take my clothes to the dry cleaning, but usually I let them pile up for a while before I take them. Got to <laughs> save the money to pay that dry cleaning bill, but I. <laughs> and so one night, and we've been living here for a while, one night I took my clothes and I started piling them into my car because the next morning I was going to go to the dry cleaners. And so I had to make like two trips out to the car. Well, I get in my car and so I'm going to go to the store first. I'm making a run. I pull out my car, I pull out the driveway, and I'm and I'm going down the street, and the police officer is right behind me, following me. Hmm. I get to the edge of the block and I still see him following me, and he's looking and he's I, I don't know what he thought. Maybe he thought I was stealing something out of my own house. You know, I, I don't know. But he then turns the, he then turns back around and goes back home hmm. so so he's coming down the street he sees me piling the stuff in he sees me pull out he turns around and follows me down the block and then turns back around and goes home wow. you understand what I'm saying yep yeah so 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 so, so that occurs. That that still occurs. Wow. I never said nothing to him about it. I, just the way police officers think. Um, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure if you had, had a conversation, like if you knew um, knew of police officers had conversations about these kinds of things with the policing community here in Lexington. Um, uh, with a couple of police officers, but you know they give you the typical speech okay hmm. but I, I don't think they fully understand and and hmm. and you know maybe maybe we need to get back to community policing get out the car and walk the block hmm. 
where folk can get to know you. Mm, yeah. And you can get to know the folk on the block and their kids mm. so that you know the black boy that lives in this house belongs to this house, even though he might be wandering down the, the block that he does live in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. mm. I, I just keep hearing you go back to um, like, you know, relationship, relationship, relationship from policing to, um, you know, interactions with others, um, just the power and the importance of relationship. And it seems my, my ex limited experience is that there's so much working against relationships right now and allowing relationships to be the bedrock in which we navigate some of these really hard um, situations that have a long and sad history with them. There, there are. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's interesting stereotypes. Now I played football, I wrestled. I like to play basketball, but I wasn't a good basketball player. So, so in, in places where there were camps or things like that, where there were only a few African-American, mostly white, they're like, oh, I want him on my team. <laughs> that's, I thought you could play back. I never said I could play back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I get that too, dog, because I'm 6'4", right? I didn't tell you I was a good basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just out here. You're like, oh, oh don't pick him again. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i don thank you for your story and uh thank you all for for sharing your story this conversation has been so incredibly meaningful to me and i'm grateful wow. for your willingness to to open up and then to you know uh, see where that where that takes us and i'm um, really glad to be on this journey of seeing where this conversation takes us um and look forward to uh to sharing again uh, in our next episode thank you, thanks thank don you appreciate you sharing I'm glad that we are in relationship and we yeah. are we are looking to build stronger relationships yeah. uh, which which means that you allow for some of the 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 things that are not as um proper in my life or in your life that we allow mm -hmm. room for that so that we all can grow together. And I learned something I, I, I did not know of your military experience. Um, um, I didn't know of uh, some of the places you've lived in Chicago, having lived in Chicago for a brief period of my life. And so um, I feel closer to you and more connected to you as a result of your sharing. So thank you. Yeah. Appreciate your grace, Don. Thank you all. Good work. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time, gentlemen, God bless you and keep you. See you, folks. See you.